Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Like the chair rocks. <laughs> I wish you guys could see our movie back and forth right now. Like I just want a stable chair. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Crush the Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Networks and eBay. I'm Kirsten Lyons, cousin and co-host. Aaron Raderstorff, that's me. That's you. Okay, I'm really excited about our guest today, Sinead DeFries. Uh, go, no, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, so was I. I. I said this to you earlier, but I literally felt like we were talking to real life Lorelai Gilmore. She's so honest. She's so funny. There's this episode where Lorelai's like standing in front of high schoolers and she's like, well, I got pregnant and like it changed my life. It was actually the best thing that happened. But I'm not saying you should get pregnant, but it was the best thing that happened <laughs> for me. But it, it, And I felt like that was this conversation. Oh, totally. And I don't know. It's like, it's amazing to see kind of the the transformation that having her son just had on her. She is an incredible storyteller and you could kind of hear her growing up throughout the story. It's really that's interesting. A, that's actually a really on point because I'm editing it right now. And it is, she the way she tells a story is so fantastic because she's really in the moment. So I'm super excited for you guys to meet Sinead DeFries. We have a new segment. It's called... Let's read one of our reviews. I love that. I didn't know we had reviews. We do. This on Apple. It's from CKWN07. So it's Calvin Klein 1, 2007. Who was the Calvin Klein model in 2007? Let's just go with Marky Mark. Marky Mark wrote, I didn't know I needed this podcast, but I did. And I do know that I love it. The storytelling is excellent and the storytellers are genuine. These stories are so different and yet they resonate with my own millennial experience of dreams shattered and hearts smashed and life regenerating and hopes reforging. I wish we could have all been best friends in seventh grade. Oh, I'm sorry. It just says I wish we could have all been friends. Not best. Not best they don't want to be best, but they do want to be friends with us. I'm thankful to everyone who has shared their experience. I devour every episode. Oh, and the title is Crushing It. Oh, oh. Thank you, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. I'm, I'm looking forward to other pop stars from the 90s. The Spice Girls writing in, Alyssa Milano. She had a track in Japan. Like we said in the last episode, we'd love if you review our podcast. Maybe write a little something. And if you do, we'll read it on the show. Your episode came out. Oh, yeah. Um, I know you were a little apprehensive. Yeah. A lot apprehensive. Almost, okay, well, I almost threw up. <laughs> When I uploaded no, it, and yes, and then I almost deleted it. Like I was so close to deleting it. So when you uploaded it, did you do that thing that you do when you send a risky text for like you like press send and then you throw your phone across the room and like run away? Well, no, but I did. I slammed my computer. I'm just really, I'm really glad that you got to share that story, and I think it gives people a better perspective on why we're doing what we're doing. Thank Trust. you for encouraging me, because honestly, like you were the one that kept saying, I really think we should do this. I think people need to know why we're doing this. Like what's our why I had Bradley listen to it. And then he gave some really awesome notes on like two parts. And then I had you listen to one part. Cause it was, it was nerve wracking. It's like, it's like when I've directed and I'm in something that I've directed. It's and I, and I know exactly. I remember the part you were talking about that we ended up taking it. It wasn't anything bad. It's just, I knew the way you meant it, but somebody else outside of that would you know, think I hate would think all that up. you hate everyone. <laughs> I don't anyone, I love people. Anyone who eats at expensive brunch restaurants, you hate them. I get no, it. I it's fine. I love, brunch is my favorite. I love, <laughs> all I want every birthday is to eat at a nice place outside with a latte. That's literally all I want. I love breakfast. Brunch is fine. Whatever. I just like, whenever I, we go to those like outdoor brunch places, I always call ahead to see what the seating situation is. I really don't like metal, like wire chairs, if that makes sense. <laughs> I like a good wooden seat. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, I, excuse me. <laughs> Do you have metal uncomfortable chair? I only sit in a wooden. Can you get me a wooden? Those restaurants that have rocking chairs as their like outdoor seating. What what restaurants have you been to that have rocking chairs as their outdoor seating? I mean, Cracker Barrel is my favorite restaurant, but that you don't eat there. You just play your checkers, the giant checkerboard, and you wait to go in. In the South, you just moved there. You'll you'll know they have like the outdoor, uh, like it has rocking chairs as chairs. Okay. Not well. like full rocking chairs, like the chair rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you guys could see our movie back and forth 
dramatic, but it's, not, it's just like, like, I just want a stable chair. Like, I think I'd okay. rather an unintentionally wobbly chair than a if chair. If you are a chair maker, Ron Swanson and or anyone else, will someone please send a stable wooden chair to Erin and she can keep it in the back of her car and bring it to restaurants when she goes to brunch. Oh my God. This is my brunch chair. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm calling the heck. Can I bring in my brunch chair? Do you guys allow outside chairs at your establishment? <laughs> I'm going to end on that note. <laughs> I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. <laughs> First of all, I just want to say the few conversations that we've had the whole time, I've been like, oh, why aren't we recording? This is so good. <laughs> um, so we want to welcome Sinead DeFries. She is a TV host and actress and a YouTube personality. But first and foremost, she's a mom to her five-year-old son, Harrison. Sinead, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Okay, first off, right off the bat, mm-hmm. in sync or Backstreet Boys? Well, it's it's just tough, you know? I don't, I don't, I really hate picking between the two, but if I'm thinking about me as a child, I would have to say NSYNC. I moved to the States in 99 and at that time NSYNC was on the rise and by 2001, they were like freaking superstars. So I was, it was like my first real introduction to boy bands. I was literally in love, you know, I was like, oh, I'm in love. This is, I found my person. Who was your guy? (laughs) My guy was Justin Timberlake, like yeah, all the way. Yeah. J- Him Jason. and his little noodle head, you know, I could get enough. <laughs> um, and you moved, you said you moved to the States. How old were you when you moved to the States? Uh, it was just a few days before my seventh birthday. So just about seven years old. Okay. And you moved from South Africa? Yes. How was that? Was it was that- pretty wild. I was say, well, because huge. January, we moved in January. So <laughs> January's summer in South Africa. So it was a lot of shocks, you know, because- So the school years are swapped, obviously. So I had went into uh, the second grade having never done second grade before. Right. So it was interesting. They bumped you ahead and didn't have you just redo part of first grade. Well, they bumped us ahead initially, but by the time we settled, because after Atlanta, then we relocated to Chicago and then to the burbs of Chicago. So after that, then they put us back um, because by that point it had been almost spring. And they were like, now nah, we can't do this anymore. You know, my sister was like, she adapted so well. I remember like her, our second day of school, her teacher did like a pop quiz where she tested the whole class on like 50, the States and the capitals. And my sister was the only one that got it right. And she'd literally been in America for like less than a week. <laughs> Thanks Kelly. She's just always been that way. And so I, and I was like literally struggling so bad. It was, it was miserable. I hated it. And plus our accents were so thick. Like nobody understood us. They didn't even think we were speaking English. Um, We taught ourselves to speak in an American accent and it was like so over the top. Obviously I'm pretty used to it now. And I switched back and forth. I was going to say, was it a lot of like, like, and totally it was like, oh my gosh, it was like that because we were basically just copying, you know, what we saw in the movies and stuff. So how we kind of like frame our show is with the delightful and always true game of MASH, mansion, apartment, shack or house. Um, I mean, I always wanted everything. So I always <laughs> wanted to live in like not just any mansion, but like the biggest mansion, you know? Yeah. Who did you want to marry? Who did I not want to marry? <laughs> Welcome um, to Crushed. I didn't have like a lot of celebrity crushes because I was always like I had a boyfriend. Like I was married pretty much my <laughs> entire life. But when I was in eighth grade, I won't say his last name, but there was this boy, Joey, and I was so obsessed with Joey. He was my everything. He was a year younger than me. His mom like hated me. I remember she just could not stand me. And she would always like, I, sh- I would be on the phone with him and then she'd come home and she'd be like, hi, Joey. And then she'd be like, is that Sinead? And then <laughs> Joey would be like, yeah, it's Sinead. He'd be like, she'd be like, hi, Sinead. And I'd be like, all right, you got to go. Bye. Like it was one of those things because Man, I was like, I was. Were you just taking her? Were you taking her little boy away? Was that what it was? Think, yeah, and like also, Joey and I would always be on the phone. I was so obsessed with him. He was 
to me, like 1000% going to be my husband one day. <laughs> I, I was positive about it. And when we broke up, I was uh, crushed. <laughs> I was devastated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then where were you going to live? From a very young age, I was pretty sure that I would not stay in in Chicago or the suburbs. So I, in my head, it was probably Hollywood or, you know, what I thought, you know, LA was at that time, which was just all glitz and glam. Okay. So set the scene. Um, So things happened very quickly in the beginning. By 2015, I had already, I felt like I'd aged like 10 years. So Mm -hmm. within four years I had worked I had lost work. I had booked, uh, I booked a show on Nickelodeon and got like my first big break. And then I didn't work ever like after that. And it was miserable. And then I fell in love and then that imploded in my face. And then I met my current boyfriend. We met at a bar. And I think from the very beginning, I was in the mindset that this was never going to be anything serious. He's 13 years older than me. So I was 22 and he was 35, which already sounds pretty jarring to like a mom or a dad. So they were like, I'm sorry. Um, what? And I was like, Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. She was like, how old is he? And I'm like, Ooh, uh, she was like, I saw a picture of him and it looked like he had gray hair. I'm like, Ooh. Like it was like <laughs> 22 and 35. That's a big age gap. And that's a lot of life, life experience. Gap. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That I did not have. And I will be the first to admit that I was a hot mess when I was 22. <laughs> I just, I was heartbroken coming off of a relationship that I it, like physically, I was ill mentally, emotionally. I was ill. Like it was one of those things where I did not know how or if I would ever recover. We had broken up a year prior to that and I just could not get over it at all. And I went to the bar one night, still devastated. I, my friends like had convinced me and they were like, dude, it's been a year. Like you have to get your life together. And I don't think any, any, either of us really were looking for anything serious. I just knew I really liked this person and I knew he really liked me. Like we couldn't stay away from each other but we weren't very good for each other in the same in the same sense because i didn't know what it was like to feel anything other than absolute depression so i freaked out like a lot in the beginning i didn't want to lose it even though i didn't know what it was and it turned me into a little bit of a psycho and <laughs> it's so i was like you know like a little bit of a stage fiver but it's fine it's fine whatever um do you but, feel like part of the reason also you were a stage fiver was because you had been in this other relationship, you thought it was the one, it ended, yeah. and you still were like, it hadn't, you hadn't healed from that, right? So you're no. just like, yeah. No. And in my head, obviously it's been a year and a half. So you think that you have healed. Like you think right. that you're in the right mindset and you're just like, I'm right. I'm right. Of course. Like I've been through this. It's been a year and a half. Like I'm ready. I was so not ready for that. And I was also terrified. I was terrified and scared. And I was insecure because again, he was 35 and it wasn't any joke to anybody. He wasn't incredibly smart and like successful and knew what he wanted to do with his life. And I was 22 and partying all the time and trying to figure out, you know, maybe I'll make it big one day. Maybe I won't. Like it was like one of those. (laughs) The beginning really set the stage for what I knew was going to be one of those like up and down roller coaster relationships. I was almost like more intrigued by this type of fighting because it felt like really real fighting. And I was like, I don't know you. How do we fight this? Like screaming at each other. And we'd only known each other for like four months. I was like, what? This is not normal. And he like, broke up with me. This isn't healthy. <laughs> no, he broke up with me so many times. He'd be like, you're driving me insane. Like, this is done. And I'd be like, whatever. And I would leave. And then like the next day, the next night, um, I'd just show up at his house again. I'd be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> like, uh, like it, and that happened constantly. So I think it was like the stuff of nightmares at the same time, you know? Like anybody, <laughs> anybody from the outside looking in would have been like, whoa, like this is not good for anybody involved. <laughs> 
we had like our biggest breakup. We hadn't spoken all of Christmas week onto New Year's Eve. Kind of thought it might be really over. And then at midnight, just because we were that couple <laughs> at midnight, he was like, Happy New Year. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I was like, Happy New Year, too. Where are you? <laughs> he was like, I'm out with my friends. Where are you? And I was like, I'm out with my friends. And he was like, OK, well, I'm assuming you're probably partying all night. And I was like, probably. What are you doing? And he was like, well, I'm just going to go home. And I was like, OK, whatever. Like, I hope you have a good day. And then like 20 minutes later, my sister was like, you're going there, aren't you? And I was like, mm. and I just showed up at his house <laughs> and I went to the front door. I sent him a text before, like an hour before that. And I was like, if I said, I'm coming over and he responded, no, you're not. And so I was like, all right, I'm coming over. So then I went to his house and I got to the door and I'm like, either this is locked or it's unlocked. And if it's unlocked, then I know he left it unlocked on purpose because I said I was coming over. And then I like walked in, brushed my teeth, washed my face, everything. He was fast asleep. I got into bed and he literally turns and he goes, what the hell are you doing here? And I go, shh, I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> and we both just like burst out laughing. And we were like crying laughing because he was like, you are a psychopath. Like <laughs> nobody acts like this. Like, who are you? And I think he, I think I really gave him a run for his money because I don't think he ever expected to be challenged by somebody so much younger than him at that time. And I think that was the first time where we were able to like take a step back and be like, we're, we are ridiculous and that's okay. And I okay. think for the beginning of 2015, it felt like a different relationship and it was nice. And I started seeing, I started seeing him kind of like open up to me and treat me more of an equal rather than this girl I really like to hang out with and party with. It was nice. Like I actually had hope for our relationship and then it all came like crashing down. We didn't really know each other. And uh, I found out I was pregnant. And that was in, yeah, it was in May. Well, I found out when I was already two and a half months pregnant. Wow. Okay. And I was putting my pajamas on and he goes, babe, your boobs look huge. And I, when he said that, everything clicked. I was like, what did you just say to me? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't even say anything to him then. I just looked at him and I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. And I looked, I remember I was wearing like a sports bra and I looked in the mirror and I touched my boob and it felt like I shot myself in the chest. That's how <laughs> bad they hurt. And I had, I hadn't realized it on like up until that moment. Like yes. it was insane. And I have a hormone disorder. And when I got pregnant, I was under the impression that not only was I infertile, but that I was also going through early menopause because that's what the doctor told me literally three months before I got pregnant. I was devastated. I was devastated. She was like, looks like you're going through early menopause. Like you don't ovulate. And then I only had it for a year. Do you have PCOS? I have PCOS. Yeah. So do I. Aaron, do you have PCOS? I would have to go to the gynecologist to figure that out and I'm too scared to go. So okay, I guess we'll, we'll never know. I didn't get my period till I was uh, almost 16. I was nine days before yeah. I turned 16. Nobody yeah. thought to like ever check me for PCOS until only about like four years ago. Did well, that's how, to, that's like, what it really was. ask them? Yeah. yeah. I, had, I went to a really awesome doctor in New York that deals like basically the complete opposite of like medicine that as we know it kind of a thing. And she... So she did all these tests and she was like, I'm not going to diagnose you obviously until we finish these tests, but she's like, I'm almost positive PCOS. And then it came back and it was like resounding. Yes. Kind of a thing. Yeah. And it's one of those things where it's just sad because for women's medicine, this is such a tangent. It's just the research is so not there. Yeah. Like it's, there's nobody knows what they're talking about. And when I was 17, that was the first time they told me they thought that I might be infertile. Who tells a 17 year old girl that? Like, that's right. horrible. Especially right. with like might on the end of it. You might. Yeah. Be, you yeah. Know. And it's just like looking back on it. I wish I could go and tell that doctor to like shove it. The body and the female body on top of it is it's so amazing what what your body can do. On top of that, I was also on birth control and I still got pregnant. But that's also really beautiful. 
in a weird way because it's like, yeah, your son, he had to be here. Like that's really, pretty yeah. incredible. <laughs> He's like, guys, I'm yeah. coming. I'm coming. No, for sure. And I think that was like the the biggest thing for me too, because I was like, this kid really wants to be here. Obviously, finding out I was pregnant was devastating in more ways than one. And when I look back on it, I love my son. I can't imagine my life without him. I wouldn't trade him for anything, but like, would I do things differently knowing then it's like a weird question. People, somebody Mm -hmm. asked me that the other day and I was like, do I wish I had a child at 22? No, but I'm glad I have my son. And it's one of those things that I know I wasn't ready. I feel ready now, obviously, but I know I wasn't ready not only that I wasn't like mature enough to deal with the horrors that came along with Mm. being pregnant for me because Harrison was given only a 5% chance of survival. So it was after all the initial shock and what am I going to do? And granted the day I found out I was pregnant, I it was the first contract I had signed to do something big again. And I ended up hosting a show on ABC family and I was so excited, but I sat in that meeting that whole day, decide, like find, like waiting to find out if they were going to offer me a contract, L- literally on the verge of puking. And I remember being like, well, I just have to get through this and then I'll get a pregnancy test and I'll go home. Like, I'll just get through this because I think from the time I felt sick to the time I really in my gut knew I was pregnant, was trying to convince myself every day for like a week after that, that I wasn't. And then I called my mom. Uh, I, I don't, something's wrong. And she said, are you pregnant? Immediately. I remember she was like, are you pregnant? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, what? I was joking. (laughs) I was like, I "I don't know. And she was like, okay, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I got to go through that meeting on Monday. Let me get through the meeting next week and I'll go Mm. take a test. I even had told one of my friends that day. I remember. And she was like, what? And then I remember the next day we were filming together on something else. And she goes, Hey, you didn't text me back last night. Did you end up taking your pregnancy test? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, and, and I was like, it was negative, even though I was not negative at all. And I was, it was just like the horror and the shock and the grief of all of it was just, was terrible. And then once I decided I was keeping Harrison, Nils and I like broke up and he just straight up left. And I was, it was the, my lowest point, I think emotionally, it killed me because I was like, how do you go from telling somebody you love them like the day before to then being like, I, I'm not doing this with you. It, it's totally okay if you're not comfortable sharing this, but what did, how did you expect that conversation to kind of go when you finally told him and did he, did he waver on his response or was it kind of an immediate, like, no, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I knew, I knew he did not want to have a child, right? I knew he did not want to have kids. Mm. And he had a lot of his own personal trauma with that. And so I knew where he stood. I think he expected me just not to have the baby. To him, I was like, he was like, you signed a contract with Disney and ABC on this day that you happened to find out you were pregnant. Like, this is everything you've been working for. This is what your whole career has been leading up to. There's no way, there's no way she's going to have this baby. In the beginning, he was really sweet about it because in his head, he, not a, not an ounce of him thought I would ever have Harrison. Like he, he, I don't think it was even a question to him. Once I started posing that question, not really even posing it, but being kind of like on the fence about it a little bit, because I had not by any means made any decisions whatsoever. My mind didn't automatically go to one thing or the other. And personally, Like, personally, I would never, ever judge another woman for having an abortion. I just never wanted that for myself, ever. Never thought I would ever believe in it. And when I got pregnant, was like, oh, you can... It was like how I learned why you can never judge somebody for that, because Mm. I actually pondered it. I I sat there and thought about it and really, Mm. really thought about it. And I was like, whoa, like everything I thought I knew about myself. And it was horrible, like... Making that decision was horrible. And that's how ultimately I came to my decision. Not for any other reason other than I didn't want to make that decision. And to me, I was like, would I rather not make the decision about having a baby or would I rather not make the decision about getting rid of the baby? And one just slightly was higher than the other. Mm. And so that's really what it came down to. And it was, it was terrible. Like my mom and my mom and my dad 
were really, really disappointed that I was considering having an abortion. Mm. My mom, especially, I don't want anything to do with this. And like, she was really upset and that obviously killed me. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, this is my decision. I have to do this on my own. Mm. And once I came to that conclusion, all I wanted was clarity. I just wanted to wake up one day and know what I was going to do. You know, just, I just needed to know because I kept teetering back and forth and I knew I was running out of time to make that decision. And I remember going to the doctor the last day I ever saw this, my OB at the time, who I'd seen for years before that. But she said immediately without even asking me any questions or anything, she said, we have a really great abortion facility, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, how dare you? Like, what? I didn't Mm. say anything. I just found out I was pregnant like five seconds ago. You just confirmed it. What do you mean? You have a really great. No one was actually asking me like how I felt about it. Wow. You know, it's like my my parents just assumed I would never have an abortion. Nils just assumed I would never have a baby. My doctor just assumed I would never have a baby. And I was like, I get it. Like I get I'm really young on the brink of my career. But at the same time, my parents know me inside and out. And I just felt like everyone had already came to their own conclusions about what decision I was going to make. And so I just cut everybody off. I didn't talk to like anybody for like weeks, like two weeks until I finally made that decision. Obviously with Nils, it was one of those things where he could sense me starting to be more upfront and honest about where I was at with that decision. And that's when he started backing off because he was like, Oh, what is happening? And then ultimately when I came to that decision, he just like, it was very abrupt. It was very abrupt. So I think I, I don't know if I had any expectations. I knew it wasn't going to be good, but I also in my head believed that we were meant to be together. I was like, there's no one that could tell me different, you know? Mm. And I, I would tell him that like all the time, like even every time he tried to break up with me before that, I would always tell him like, you'll be back. And he'd always be like, you're so annoying. And I'd be like, you'll be back. Bye. Like every time. (laughs) And so like when, when we ended up like calling it off when I was pregnant, it was the first time where I was like, oh my God, like, will he be back? Cause I had never seen him so torn up about something ever before. This person had never opened up to me like that. And he, he was like, I don't, I can't do this. I cannot wow. do this. And I was heartbroken and I felt really guilty because, and that absolutely sucks. And it was like one of those things where he had always been very honest with me about his family trauma and like, his upbringing and brooded things that came from that. And it all made sense. And I had never, ever given him any sort of idea that I would even consider having a baby, you know. Hey, Erin. Hey, Kirsten. Isn't Sinead's story riveting? I was just about to ask you the same thing. Were you also about to ask me where you can find the latest sneakers and the cutest styles that work for your new lifestyle of working out every single day? How did you know that's exactly what I was going to ask you? You're my baby cousin. I got you. Also, I can't believe you work out every day, but that's for a completely different conversation. I can believe that you can get the latest releases or even rare vintage sneakers at the eBay marketplace. You're kidding. No, not one bit. eBay even has authenticity guarantee that your sneakers will be meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Did you just say meticulously? No, I did. There's a literal team of experienced sneaker authenticators verifying the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Wow, I can't thank you enough for telling me about this. I'm going to have the best new kicks in my workout. Just head over to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. It changed everything. We deserve to have an actual relationship for once after finally finding some common ground. Mm. And it just, it just exploded. First of all, wow. Just like so much in such a short truncated amount of time, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there's so much, there's so many highs and lows. I mean, from you guys finally kind of clicking as a couple to then, then finding out you're pregnant and also signing this contract a huge amount of things in a very short amount of time come to pass, I guess. We talk about it now. Eventually we talk, we talk, we couldn't talk about a lot of it for years, to be honest with you, where it was one of those things that was just so painful to talk about. And when we did finally kind of talk about everything that had happened and I said, you know, for me, I, there were things I couldn't get over and I still had a lot of resentment because when I was six months pregnant, he kind of gave me the idea that maybe he had come around. 
And when we did talk about it, he said, I, he's like, all I can say is that I thought maybe I had to, you know, like maybe I could do it after all. Wow. And, uh, a couple days later, you know, I thought everything was great. A couple of days later, I could just tell something was different again. You just know. And I was like, you're like, you're never going to be okay with this. Are you? And he was like, no, I was like, okay. And then I didn't speak to him after that. At that point, I was like, I can't hold on to this hope that we love each other enough to, to make this work. Like if you have such a strong feeling about it, then clearly you don't love me as much as you feel this way about this thing, which is fine. Like I, I have to just take that and move on with my life. Well, it's nobody interesting. Wants, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Aaron. I was just going to say, nobody wants to feel tolerated in that situation. No. You mm. want somebody that's excited about it, you know, not somebody who's like willing to kind of grin and bear it. So I think also something that's really interesting is what you had kind of written in the show notes back to us, as you said, um, and learning for the first time that love is not enough to overcome everything. Yeah. And Cause I, I think that I had always used that, you know, I'd yeah. always used that as my, what saved me through our like back and forth and the ups and downs. I would always be like, ah, eh, well, you know, we love each other. Like I knew, I, I knew it wasn't like really real true love at that point. I knew it was heading towards that, but I knew we loved each other. Like we loved each other enough to really try always. And by the time I'd gotten pregnant, that was when I was like, I'm in love with this person, you know, for sure. And that was like, I was like, how, like, how do you love someone without just being with them then? You know, like, that's not, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I really couldn't wrap my head around that. And his whole thing was, you know, you live in a bubble, Sinead, like everything works out for you all the time. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is not what I wanted. And I think it was just a lot of resentment. And he obviously has been divorced. I was going to say from his like past trauma and like other things, that was his resentment. Yeah. And just the fact that I always saw the silver lining. Mm. It was a very positive person. And I think that would probably drive anybody nuts that that is relies mostly on like logic Mm, and mm -hmm. like being realistic. But I had to. I I was like a fight or flight thing. So any pause, I was always positive person, but I came became a thousand times more positive because what else did I have? Like I was pregnant. I was alone and Mm. I was sad. I was so sad all the time. I hated being pregnant. I hated every second of it. Again, you never get that back, you know, never get that back. And there's not one part of my pregnancy that I look back on and I'm like, Oh, that was nice. Like there's not a single moment of being pregnant that I can honestly, truly say I enjoyed not one single moment. I didn't tell anybody kept it from all of my coworkers. I filmed hiding my pregnancy up until December 15th. And I gave birth uh, on January 5th. So it's like, and nobody knew, like I didn't tell a single soul. Nobody knew. Was it because of the pain of losing that relationship? Was it because if you were fearful of your career, was it other things? I just had lost all control of everything. And also Harrison's health issues too. He wasn't cleared. He wasn't cleared until I was like seven months pregnant, six or seven months pregnant. And I was too much at that point. I was like, first of all, I make this whole decision. I lose a relationship over this decision. I lose everything I thought I was going to do while also trying to maintain a career. And like the then finally getting the news that like, oh, looks like he'll be fine. Yeah. It's just too much. So at that point, once I was six months pregnant, seven months pregnant, and they were like, oh, he's totally fine. He has a club foot. It's genetic. I had it when I was born. He ended up having surgery on it like twice, but okay. way better than, I don't know, like possibly dying or possibly What they were having... preparing you for. Right. Yeah. Like all the things that they were preparing me for. So it's like by that time, I was like, no, I'm sorry. Like I've lost all control of everything. Everyone's right. just been saying, saying things at me for seven months. At this point, like. I deserve to be okay for like just a couple months and protect so, yourself. Yeah. 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 Like and I didn't, protect- I didn't want the attention, whether it was positive attention, negative attention. I didn't want the attention at all. Mm. And it was like maybe the last month of my pregnancy that I think Nils had emailed me. He was smart. So he figured I'd blocked him, which I had. Uh, so he, he sent me an email, which is so funny. <laughs> and he was like, you're going to have to talk to me eventually. And I responded. I remember being like, says who? 
or something <laughs> like that. Just sassy as always. And he was like, uh, well, you're having a baby. And I was like, yeah, whatever. You can send me a check or something. <laughs> and he was like, that's not funny. And I was like, okay, well, I have a doctor's appointment. Like, you're welcome to come. And then I remember we went to the doctor. What? Wait, what was that like? Like, you haven't seen him in so long. I was a one track mind at that mm-hmm. point. I was like, I'm having a baby and I don't care about anything else. Like, that's right. just what I have to do. My expectations were pretty much in the ground, but I, I, I almost felt like he didn't have any sort of ties to Harrison, obviously, or the baby. He hadn't been pregnant, but I think he, I think he felt bad for me. Like, I really think he felt sad that I was alone, which I mean, he should. <laughs> yeah. Like it was like one of those things where I was like, yeah, like obviously. So it, it was nice because at least I was like, oh, well, you're still in, like, you're still a decent human, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like, you might not want to be with me or we might never agree on why I made this decision or it might never be something we can ever understand each other about, but you're, he's still a really nice person. Like he's still, like, he still cared enough to at least be like, well, let me come to the doctor with you. Not for any other reason than probably just to, so I wasn't alone for that, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. It was really nice. And I was like, oh, well, maybe we can be friends. Like maybe this is the thing we can be friends. I willed into existence the worst possible way to have a child because <laughs> on January 4th, uh, I got into a four car pileup on the 110 freeway outside what? of downtown LA. And I was rushed to the hospital. We're like, if it's not enough for an unplanned (laughs) pregnancy and a breakup and a signed contract where I have to be quiet about it, here comes a four-car pileup. Yeah, it was horrible. I literally, like, the woman came up to the window, I remember, and she's like, um, we're all exchanging insurance information if you want to get out of your car. And I remember I just looked at her and I was like, I'm nine months pregnant. And she was like, what? And I was like, I am nine months pregnant. Can you please call 911? It's so weird. I think that was the moment I realized I'd become a mother because I saw it happening. The cars in front of me had already stopped. I think one of them had already hit each other. And I was coming around a curve and I saw what was happening. And instead of trying to slam on the brakes and control the car, I took my foot off the brake. I just held my stomach and tried to relax because I was terrified. And all I, in that very split second, took my foot off the brake so I wasn't tense and that my hip wasn't like whatever. And I just curled inwards and like held my stomach. And once I made contact, uh, it was like a, a second and a half before I got hit from the back. And, you know, in that moment, you're like, please kick, please kick, please kick, like yeah. do something, just yeah. please do something. And I was just like, oh my God, like what just happened? Like what just happened? But my airbags didn't deploy. And the, the hospital said, they asked me like 10 times. They're like, they didn't deploy. They didn't deploy. I was like, no. And then they were like, if that, if they, if your airbags had deployed, this would be a very different, different situation for you. One of those things, I obviously got in the car accident on the fourth, went to the hospital. And then on the fifth, I went home and Nils picked me up from the hospital. And obviously he was terrified for me. So he picked me up from the hospital and then he dropped me off at home and he's like, you're going to be okay. And I was like, "Eh, I'll let you know, like, it's fine, whatever. And so he dropped me off at home and then I was at home for 30 minutes. And then I was like, I should take a shower. I've been in the hospital, sweaty. I'm disgusting. Too many people have touched me. And And I got in the shower and my water broke and I was like, oh my gosh, between the accident. And then they, once you're in the hospital, they check if you're dilated like 47 times. And I'm like, no wonder I went into labor. Like, of course, having that done to you is going to make you go into labor. Um, and not to be too graphic, but they're really like poking around in there, you know, oh, gosh. Like, <laughs> getting, getting checked for dilation. You're like, am I having the baby right yeah, now? I'm like, you might as well just take them out yourself. You're halfway <laughs> there. Like it's insane. You know, I think what's so fascinating about all of this is first of all, like your son, I don't like, he's just meant to be. He was, yeah. Like all of these different things. It's just really fascinating. But I also think what's so fascinating is, you know, the show is a lot about like, um, I think a lot of people 
they, they think they're light, they, they plan their life and they want their life to go this way. Mm-hmm. And then life happens, right? Like life yeah. happens and we can't yeah. control it. And it's this kind of beautiful story about what happens when we can't control life and like what actually, like what happens when life blows up, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's like, the thing is like, that happens all the time, you yeah. know, like things change all the time, but you're always going to be fine. Like, mm. and I think the biggest thing, first of all, having Harrison really saved me. You know, I was not living my life in the best way. I was 22 and making a lot of very poor decisions. And I was mm. treating a heartbreak in the worst way possible. And I was just a mess. Like, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And having him not only like put me back in like on the right track in that aspect, but also I needed to grow up a little bit and Mm. not like, that's where I say sometimes I have that conflict because I missed out on a lot. Like I missed out on having a baby when you're 22 turning 23 is it's a lot. Like that's not, it's a lot. It's a lot, especially when you're not in a relationship and you know, everything is different. You're living with your parents. It's a lot. So it was like one of those things that it, it taught me so much, but I needed to stop victimizing myself. You know, like I was like, whatever, mm. like I needed to stop victimizing myself because I was just such a victim. Like I was such a victim. Why is this happening to me? Why is this not working out? I'd always been so positive that I was just kind of like, oh, you know, positivity, being positive. You know, I'm, I'm the queen of saying not with that attitude. It won't, you know, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, which is like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Someone's like, this is never going to happen. I'm like, well, not with that attitude. Or like when Nils is like, uh, you always win the lottery. I'm never going to be able to win like on a scratcher. I'm like, not with that. attitude. He's like, that doesn't work for this. And I'm like, but yeah, so I just really, when things started, when things weren't going my way, I was such a victim. And I, I never want to be a victim like that again, because I made all those decisions and choices. I, you know, I did all those things. Yes, things, a lot of things happened that were out of my control, but ultimately deciding to have a baby was my choice. So I don't know why I tried to place myself in this victim category because I chose that and I'm happy I chose that. I'm very, very happy I chose that because my kid is my best friend. Like I love that little dude more than anything on the planet. And it's one of those things where you're just like, oh, whoa, like looking back on it, that is what being immature is. You are a victim. It's every, everybody, everything is everybody else's fault, you know? Mm. And when you are that immature, you also like don't know how to deal with things not going your way. I needed to learn that not everything works out and that love doesn't overcome everything. And it takes two people working very, very, very hard at it. Mm. And sometimes that's still not enough. And that's also okay. And sometimes you lose jobs and that's okay. And sometimes you get sick and that's okay. Like all those things, anytime anything bad happened, it was almost like I didn't know, I didn't know how to deal because Mm -hmm. I was very, I was very privileged. I had a parents that would take care of me if I needed it. And like my parents and I are so close to, I had a, I had the, I had like the family that a lot of people don't have, you know? Mm. And I had like, I had so much there to help me when things like bad things happen in my career or whatever. I got pregnant and my parents dropped everything and moved across the country here. And that's like one of the biggest things, like looking back on like how many people can say that they had that kind of support, you know? So you know, growing up that quickly is bittersweet, you know, like I, a lot of that I need needed to happen, but a lot of it too is sad to think that like, I don't, I don't know if I really had a lot of the same type of memories that a lot of my friends did, but that's also okay. That doesn't make me a victim. It's just how my life turned out. And, you know, it was one of those things. I was just going to say, I mean, that Uh, that kind of leads into our wrap-up question and actually something that you brought up really early on was like, if you could go back and tell your, your 12 year old self something, you know, you kind of said, people always ask you that all the time. Like, would you have done it differently? But it's kind of like, and even maybe not necessarily about this situation, it could be about your, like kind of your whole outlook. But like, if you could go back and tell your 12 year old self anything, what would you, what would you say? I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was like nine, you know, but the worst anxiety I ever experienced obviously was, was around that time, even though I thought I had been through the worst of it, you know? So I would literally just tell myself that everything's going to be okay. You think you've been through it now, girl, just you wait. <laughs> I can relate to people on a, on a, in a much different way. Cause I've, I experienced so much in a matter of like nine months, you know? Yeah. 
And what, like in terms of Nils and I, when we did get back together a few months after Harrison was born, it was very like, kind of like weary and whatever, but it ended up being the, like the right way to do things because we were now bonding over things that weren't superficial. Like you were like, had actual substance and meaning to it. And we realized when I always thought we had nothing in common, I realized, we realized that we were the same type of parent. And it was the first thing that we were like, oh my God, like this is so crazy and so funny that we both, people be like, oh my God, how's the kid? And we'd be like, oh, I don't know. Did you have him? Like, what did you, like, where is he? <laughs> like, we would like make little jokes like that or whatever, or all these things where we view things very similarly, where people are like, you guys are so weird together, but like it works, you know, it works for us. And we have more in common now than ever before. And I just, I don't know if it wasn't for Harrison that we ever would have been together, you know? Like, I don't know if we would have made it truly work. Like we were getting to a place, but we didn't have anything that we shared. Like, I was just going to say, there's like a foundation there. And not that I'm telling people, Hey, if you're having relationship problems, have a baby. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But I think that there is so much beauty in that this kind of superficial became so much more grounded and rooted in this like beauty of parenting. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, he's such a great dad, all his fears about being able to have a kid, you know, and I get it. Like when you don't have that sort of um, like example as a child, like I understand that that must be terrifying. And I like, it's, it breaks my heart to think about that because he, he deserves and deserved, he deserved and still deserves to have the type of father that he is truly, you know, like it just is like one of those things where I'm like, Oh, you know, you're such a good dad. Like you were so scared that you didn't have anything to learn from, but he ended up, uh, he ended up being like the best. Like, he's just so good. Like he's just, he just gets it. And I'm like, mm. dude, this is next level. But yeah, no, he absolutely deserved that. And, and it's sad to think. Well, what an incredible, like he's my, so my dad had a really rough childhood. His father was an yeah. alcoholic and he, and I always like we kind of always say to my dad, like you changed the legacy for our family, the gift of like Harrison and your family. And like, it's just so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And now we're happy and everything's great. And it's just like, it's <laughs> but it's just so funny. What's yeah, it is work. And, and yeah. I love that you said a little while ago, you were like, I think you said like, we worked at it. We worked at it. Or I'm not exactly sure what your wording was, but it's true. I mean, you know, and love is a choice. It's not a feeling. You know, yeah, a hundred percent. And it, it does. You're right. It does. It takes a lot of work. And like I said, we couldn't talk about the pregnancy for mm-hmm. years afterwards until like, eventually I was like, we got to talk about this because we've been together now for like two years and none of neither one of us ever brings up like the dreaded, you know, right. It's like, <laughs> and it's, it was like important for us to talk about it, to like be able to move past it or whatever. But the biggest thing he said to me, he's like, I don't want to talk about it because I hate myself for what I did to you. And I was just like, I was like, like, that's all you had to say. I just wanted to know you hated yourself. (laughs) I'm I'm like, oh, okay, that's good. As long as we both are in, I hated you then, you hate yourself now, we're good. But isn't that crazy what shame does to us, right? Like we we shame ourselves and we don't talk about anything. And then then the other person resents the person. It's just, it's like, it's so crazy to me what, what boxes we put ourselves in. It's so awesome that you were like, look, we got to talk about this. Like this is, we yeah. got to get this out on the table. That's awesome. Especially I'm the type of person that has to talk about everything. Yeah. So like <laughs> when I need, when like I get into a fight with him, like five minutes later, I'm like looking at him, like in the living room, like, are you ready to talk? Like, I can't, <laughs> I can't like wait, you know? And he'd be like, what? And I'd be like, oh, I was just hoping that we could talk about that argument. And he's like, the argument we had five minutes ago. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, I'm going to need to talk about that now. Like, I'm just that type of person. Like, I cannot let our processes are so different. And then like, he'll go outside to like catch his breath. And, and like five seconds later, I'll open the back door. And I like audibly hear like, oh, no, like, he just knows <laughs> it's always coming, you know, and it's just like, it's funny, but yeah, no, it's just, it's crazy. Harrison's only been alive for five years, but I feel like, I feel like Nils and I have been through 17 lifetimes together, you know, mm. and it's just, it's wild and it's insane. And, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't trade it for anything truly. 
That's awesome. I love that. I'm going to lead into our final questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what is when you were in like the depths of emotion, it's raining, you're staring out the car window. What is your crush song? Um, it would have to be Avril Lavigne. I know it's track number eight on the CD. <laughs> uh sometimes i drive too fast that one uh starts out like that and it's like is it enough to love that one and i used to like, <laughs> cry like just sob cry and even when i put it on like the other day too i was crying so hard um yeah and i think one of the lines is like somebody rip my heart out and she, you know how she is and she's like and leave me here to bleed like that's the, those are the lines of the song we were all emo you know every, every yeah. teenager was emo at least once you know so just many how, feelings. that's how we that's how we got through we had too many feelings <laughs> and on that note welcome to crush the podcast because this is a show <laughs> with a lot of feelings um, Sinead, thank you so much for being here this was awesome you your story is like I, I literally, as you're talking, I'm like, how, I can't cut that. I can't, how am I going to, what, how am I going to edit this? <laughs> so That's funny. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being of here. Of course. Of course. Um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's yeah. nice hanging out. And you can find Sinead at thatsosinead.blog. That's her website, as well as Sinead DeFries. Um, You can find her on Instagram and obviously we'll have all that up there. So I'm Kirsten Lyons. Wait, where can what? you find us? Oh Yeah. You can, find us on, person. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at crush podcast. Love interacting with you guys on social media. And Only guys, Instagram. you have no idea like this last, the episode last time you guys shared and it was incredible. The amount of people that um, our most recent episode reached. So thank you so much. Um, and yeah. Bye. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.